Hello and welcome back to the Football Index podcast, episode 145. Today, I've got a really special guest, actually. Been really excited for this one for the last few weeks. I've had it in my schedule, knowing that this was coming up because... As we can see from the questions, it sparked some very heated FI traders. If you guys haven't checked out episode 144 with Alpha Chaser and Index Machine, please do check that out. That's been really well received. It's got thousands and thousands and thousands of downloads. So really appreciate everyone going and listening to that one. And please do leave a review if you did enjoy that one. If you're not subscribed, I don't know what you're doing listening to this, but please do subscribe. So thank you very much for everyone who has reviewed and has subscribed. If you haven't, you're on the naughty list and please do do that. But today I'm joined by Spoon FI, who's a former Opta data analyst turned FI trader. Well, it didn't exactly leave his job to become a football index trader, but he's left Opta at some point in the past and is now a football index trader doing whatever he does alongside that. So welcome to the show and tell us a bit about yourself. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So yeah, I left Opta mid-March. I was working, studying as well. Just graduated with an economics and finance degree. So then got into Football Index April-ish. I think I was quite lucky to miss the COVID crash (laughs) I hear so much about. So yeah, I took advantage of the deposit bonus and went from there, really. Oh, fair enough. So you're a very recent user then? Yeah, yeah, very new in comparison to some of your esteemed guests. (laughs) And how did you find out about the product? The aggressive marketing, probably. As a football fan, you get lots of targeted stuff, don't you? And so I was actually offered like a sign-up bonus. You you put 20 quid in and you got a free 50 quid, which I thought was very generous. Yeah, I took advantage of that and thought with my sort of Opta background, I might be able to unearth some gems. And did you find that you were able to use that Opta background (laughs) to unearth some gems? To some extent. A lot of the sort of hyped youngsters were already quite expensive. In my time at Opta, I watched Ren a lot in Lee Gun. So I was thinking, oh, Camavinga, you know, this guy is really something. And I came on and he was already, what, three quid. So, yeah, it's difficult because there's a lot of very, very smart people on FR who do a lot of research. Yeah, there are a lot of people that are really into their football, into their football manager, into kind of reading, writing about football, etc. So it is harder and harder to find that edge, isn't it? Especially with the lack of IPOs. I think maybe that's something that we'll talk about in the future. But I mean, after you deposited, how's the Football Index journey been since then? What have been the ups? What have been the downs? What have you enjoyed? What have you disliked? It's been a bit of a rocky one, but I guess it has for everyone really, hasn't it? I started off very well because I bought into Bundesliga players on the first rumours that the Bundesliga would be restarting. So I was able to profit quite nicely off of that. Team of Werner, for example, pulled a lot of dividends in for me. Then when other leagues came back in, Bundesliga finished and then the matching engine was introduced and the, the lack of liquidity that it caused. I've sort of struggled a bit, but managed to shift around some funds and I'm pretty happy with my port now and I'm taking quite a long-term view, not fiddling with it too much. So I'm just kind of riding out this dip at the moment. I'm excited for what the future holds. 
Yeah, I mean, it's good to hear from a new trader. It's good to hear from a trader with a unique background. So we've got the lot here today, which I'm really pleased about. But before we move on, I just need to remind you guys that I have got the Patreon going and there's been loads of signups recently, which is amazing. So thank you everyone who's signed up today. I might owe Headhunter a few pints. He was the first sign up on the Patreon and I think he convinced a few people to sign up when he was on the podcast. I think he had a few creepy joins during it. That's probably helped the cause. So if you guys don't know what Patreon is, It's where content creators like myself can create premium bonus and behind the scenes content for their audience. So in my case, I'll be trying to help traders profit more on their football index journey providing as much insight as I can via blogs, extra podcasts, early access to stuff, webinars, and so on and so forth. There's £3, £5, £8, and £12 tiers, all with great different perks, but VAT is not included, unfortunately, which is something that really haunts me. So do check it out for the best football index content around. So if you head over to patreon.com forward slash FI guide for more information and join a growing community over at the fig Patreon. We'll go for some miscellaneous spoon related questions. I suppose spoon, you were asked a lot of opt related things. You then quote retweeted the tweet with, Hey, would love some non opt related questions. And you got basically spoon related questions or stonk related questions. So <laughs> Harwood index, I see everyone has got the opt questions in. So I'll ask why you spoon FI and also can you bend a spoon only using your mind? No, unfortunately not. It's just a bit of a play on my name, actually. Sorry to be boring about that to everybody. Fucking hell, mate. This is going to be bad, isn't it? The next few questions. <laughs> FI Jack, what have been your biggest stonks and not stonks moment on FI? What does stonks mean in this context? Stonks is a way of life, you know. It's about prosperous financial decisions. It doesn't have to be FI related or even you know stock market related. Where's the stonk movement come from? Is this like a growing movement? Is this something that's been going on for a while? A very ancient meme, I think. <laughs> been around a while uh, so i just thought i'd apply some of that sort of ethos to my football index trading fair enough i mean i'm gonna have to look into more the stonk side of things at some point i mean this is becoming quite a strange conversation tom fennel from the discord would you rather have two massive spoons instead of feet or 10 teaspoons instead of fingers and thumbs i gave this one quite a lot of thought actually i think i'd have to go with the two spoons as feet because your hands are pretty essential for your daily life but people can walk on prosthetics so people can walk on spoons i mean the logic clearly follows but you'd be sick at swimming as well wouldn't you <laughs> so yeah michael phelps here we come <laughs> sorry that's taken me a very <laughs> off guard <laughs> yeah fair enough yeah i think if you had 10 teaspoons per hand, life would be pretty tricky, wouldn't it? You'd be very, very good in the kitchen to some extent. If you were like a professional stirrer or, a, I don't know, a professional, like you could stir 10 cups of tea at the same time. Right now I'm motioning with my fingers like how I'd stir these teas, but it's very hard to wrap your hand up. The, the spoons as feet, I mean, it'd be very hard to play football but judging by some footballers I mean you might have a shot being better than some of them even with spoons as feet so let's see got a question here from Ginger Pirlo you another Ben Arthur enthusiast j'adore Benny so are you a Newcastle United fan? No like I said I've watched a lot of Wren at Opta basically you're assigned teams for the season and so Wren was one I did for quite a long time and so I was fortunate to watch them in their Europa League 
2018-19 season when they played Arsenal. Knocked out by Arsenal, I believe. But Ben Arthur was just one of those players that whenever he gets on the ball, you feel like something magic's going to happen. If you were in the stadium, you'd be up on your seat sort of thing. So yeah, just kind of a love of Ben Arthur and his game. And if you haven't seen it, watch his goal against Angers in the 2018-19 season. <laughs> I mean, I more remember him for his exploits at Newcastle. The goal against Blackburn, <laughs> was it? Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, he's, those players, him like Adele Tarabs, you know, they're sort of effortlessly brilliant dribblers and skillful players, but were so often not at their best. On the talent podium, how high do you put him in ever standings? Ben Arthur? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Not massively high because, like I said, he wasn't consistently excellent. Was just showed those brief glimpses of magic. He's memorable, but not for being a consistently brilliant player. Mm, mm. I've got a question here from Steve. He says, better natural talent, Hayek Ben Arthur. I think he means Hatton there. Or Alan San Maximum in reference to your profile picture? Difficult one. I don't really believe in natural talent very much. But, I mean, I've not seen a massive amount of San Maximum, but San Maximum goes down in Opta folklore as when he was in sort of the lower reaches of French football, he was putting in crazy, crazy dribbling numbers. I think was rivaling Messi in one season. I know I'll stick with my boy Ben Arthur on that one. Fair enough, I would probably agree. Well, before we move on, I just need to let you guys know that this podcast is sponsored by Index Gain. You can use the code FIG2020 for five quid off your first month, but that's not all. If you go for the semi-annual plan, you get one month free, then another five quid off on top with the FIG2020 code. You get the top team of the month winners and dividend earners for the 1920 season now available free on the Index Game as well as every team of the month so far. Head over to indexgame.co.uk forward slash blog for more details. Honestly, they've got something amazing, amazing coming up. Dan's been showing me under the hood and it's pretty glorious. So keep your eyes peeled for an Index Game announcement over the next few weeks, I think. So that's FIG2020 for five quid off your first month or five quid off and a free month off your six-month membership over on indexgain.co.uk. Now for the Opta questions, my man Spin. Yeah, come on then. Sam FI says, <laughs> come on then, would be good just to get a full explanation of how an Opta analyst would capture data from a game. What's the system? How likely is that mistakes are made? Which point scoring elements are particularly subjective depending on who is doing the analysis? Yeah, it's a good question. I think some people, the way they talk about it, you'd think that it happens by magic, but it doesn't. It's human input. You could actually go and see this on YouTube. I think Copper90 did a video many years ago. So it's one person would do one team. So you'd have two people on a game. And then for top five leagues, Champions League, Europa League, you'd also have a third person doing checking, as it's called. So it's manual input. You are mapping events as they happen onto a virtual pitch on your screen, side by side with the TV screen. So you're mapping it out, the location of the event where it's happened, the player involved, and also the time as well. So you have a sort of logical order of events. So with that, we have another screen that we can rewind, slow-mo, frame by frame, so we can ensure we're getting the finest detail possible. So this averages out at about 800 events per team per game. So you put yourself in your shoes of trying to watch a game and manually record 800 things. It's difficult, frankly. Very laborious as well. Yeah, it is. I remember when I first started, I would do sort of three games in a day and I'd be walking home thinking, 
I feel like I've just driven a car for five hours. It's that sort of concentration, really. So yeah, average is about 800. But I looked at the Man City game. They played Watford last night. And Man City made 764 passes, just passes. So the number of events you could be recording could be, I think the most I ever saw was about 1,200. So that's just, you know, you're putting events in literally every second. So yeah, that's kind of how it works. So I guess you could say it's sort of inevitable that some mistakes are made because it is human error at the end of the day. Humans aren't perfect, but you're looking at about 98 to 99% consistency or accuracy with the definitions. You can't catch everything or 1,200 events exactly right. It just wouldn't be feasible, but you're looking at about a 98 to 99% hit rate if you like what are the most controversial types of stat or action that really do need a lot of subjective thought it's a difficult one because everything is subjective in its own way everything that you can collect is subjective in its own way i guess big chances are something that you kind of have to think about but it normally just boils down to should the player have scored you can obviously watch a game and think oh is mr sitter sort of thing But then you have to think about it a lot more situationally, sort of what player is it? Are they on their weak foot? How much pressure they're under sort of thing. So there's a lot of thought that goes into it. But just to sort of address the last part of that question, you're not making the decisions on your own necessarily. There's one person sat there putting in the events for each team, but you're communicating all the time saying, oh, do you think this was a big chance, etc. And then you can also communicate with the checker, the third person, and also supervisors can lend in here as well. So it's a lot more collective than you might think. I mean, it's a lot more collective, but it's also a lot more complicated. I think a lot of people just think that this is done by some drone in the sky or whatever, but it's manual, it's laborious. There are going to be mistakes. There is a touch of human error and there is a lot of subjectivity to it. It is really amazing to get that kind of background from you. I suppose the thing that a lot of football index traders are thinking about is when it comes to a key pass created, a chance created, whatever it may be, how often do you think you have to get into that situation where you have to get someone to check it over? Is it once every game? Is it once every few games? Or is it a lot rarer occasion? And in actual fact, it's a bit more straightforward. It happens as more of a rarity and slightly more uncommon. What do you mean you're sort of asking people other people for their advice yeah i mean you talked about there you have supervisors and checkers etc how often does that happen well it's quite common really because you're constantly communicating throughout the game constantly sort of updating your opinions to reflect new information sort of thing so yeah it's quite common to change things during a game off the basis of different opinions yeah, it's really interesting to hear, like, honestly, really, really interesting to hear your thoughts behind this. Well, obviously, you've lived and breathed it for so long, and now your good self is telling us the inside scoop, I suppose, on the pod. Got a question here from Football Index Tactics. Nick, please confirm on a scale of zero to fuck all how much you have to give a shit about FI. So from the way he's kind of phrased that, he obviously doesn't think they give a shit about Football Index, but maybe you can kind of give us a bit more clarity on what this relationship would look like and what the communications would be like between Opta and the client and just a bit more background about that. Yeah, it kind of ties into a few of the questions that we received. One thing I will say, I don't know whether I should be saying this or not, but the analysts who are watching the games, I would be surprised if 
a single one of them knew what football index was, especially now that the office is in another country. So their job is just to produce the most accurate set of live data possible. And evidently that isn't good enough for a lot of the FI Twitter community. So it's not that Opta don't give a shit. It's just that they have so many clients whose demands need to be met. And bigger clients than Football Index. Exactly, yeah. I think we have a question about this later. So you can't sort of have your cake and eat it. You can't expect Opta to tailor it to FI's needs, in essence, yeah. What are some of the frustrations that you've seen from the community on Twitter and you've just been like, oh, if only they knew? Yeah, I think the kind of Opta slander reached a climax (laughs) about a month ago when KDB and Havertz were tied for star player and top mid on a gold day and Havertz won on the basis of his age but it was then discovered that Havertz's score should actually have been lower than what it was when the dividends were paid out so changes like that it goes back to the clients thing is that there are higher powers who will come in and say we would like this differently and Opta has to accommodate that can't sort of staunchly say no we're not doing that because you're kind of going against the rest of the footballing world. So an example, if you were to look at the Ren results from the 2019-20 season, just cancelled. If you were to go back to the, I think it was the away game against Marseille, you'll see a goal from Bayouniang, which should not be a goal. It was an own goal by Hiroki Sakai. A very hard to discern own goal because it was a slight deflection. But by our definitions should not be a goal but whoever it was at Lee Gun came and said we would like this to be a goal for Niang and that's just kind of what we have to do. I think that's interesting as well a lot of the certain leagues seem to be a bit more lenient about goals being given to strikers or not or in the UK we have like the dubious goals panel in the Premier League for example I've noticed in La Liga and Spain specifically that they're a lot more lenient. I've seen Suarez score a goal that was going really, really wide and it's been deflected in and La Liga have officially given it to him. So it's not only game on game that it can differ, it's dependent on league, right? Yeah. Got a question here from Football Index Buzz. For all those unsure of how huge Opta is, can you put into perspective how big Football Index are as a client to them? And how do you think Football Index can improve their process to be less impacted by Opta errors since realistically Opta aren't going to do extra work for this one customer? Yeah, so again, it it kind of links back to the last question about how much Opta should be giving a shit about FI. Opta are providing data to literally anyone in the football world, betting companies, broadcasters, leagues, as we just said, and clubs as well. Opta Pro, who work very closely with academies to provide data for them for performance analysis. When you look at Sky, BBC, BT, massive, massive companies multi-billion pound industry and then you think well fi with their little what is it 120 million market cap you just have to think it isn't really significant in comparison to the massive amount of clients but that doesn't mean that opta won't accommodate them i've kind of said the only thing that fi can really control is the dividend deadline and what scores they choose to pay out on we can go off into a slight tangent here about how scores are recalculated to get 100% consistency. So basically, it's called a post-match analysis. Someone, perhaps the next day, will will sit down to watch the game again, side by side with everything that the live analysts put in. 
and we'll check event by event, pass by pass, is the player right? Has it been mapped correctly? Is the time right? So that normally takes about three hours to do. So once that's done, the scores are then recalculated and sort of resubmitted to whoever wants them. So an actual implication of this dividend deadline that changed in the recent announcement, they've said between 9 and 11, haven't they? The implication of that is that because the office now will be more or less 24 hours, the joys of time zones you'll have, Brazilian, Mexican, MLS football will be kicking off midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. And then you'll have Japanese, Australian, South Korean will be kicking off three, four o'clock. So you'll have people in most of the day. So when you are assigned this post-match analysis to check through someone else's live analysis, you are kind of given the freedom to work that in around the your games for the day. There are deadlines, for example, La Liga say we want these scores recalculated within 24 hours. So as long as you do that within 24 hours, it's up to you when to do it. So if I was in at 4am for a Japanese game, as I did many times at Opta, it's quite possible that you could do that game and also a post-match analysis. You could be completed by 9am. So you're looking at a situation where some scores are recalculated and some aren't before dividends are paid out. I just want to stress, I don't want to set a cat among the pigeons here, but it might not be an issue. It might happen very, very rarely and the scores might be changed insignificantly. So dividend payouts aren't affected. But as long as people understand that there is the potential for scores to change before dividends are paid out. That is so much more rigorous than I think 99.99% of traders have first thought about it. I'm so glad that you've come on and clarified so many things. But what were your thoughts on the 9 to 11 dividend payout? Were you surprised by that when it changed? Yeah, I was. I think it's unnecessary. I think any major changes that aren't corrected during live analysis. So for example, the Nyang example I explained where they want a goal changed because that's been enforced by a higher power. It wouldn't happen sort of hours and hours and hours after the game. So I think the midnight deadline was fine. But what wasn't fine was the fact that FI weren't communicating Opta changes very well to us. All they had to say was this goal has been changed because the score is now different because that would be fine. But because they just say, oh, it's Opta changing stuff. People get angry about it quite rightly. Yeah, I think I said a few times that they should do it kind of in the morning or whatever a few podcasts ago. And in theory, I think it was a good idea. But practicality is probably key here. And I think just doing it at midnight should just be the thing. I wouldn't be surprised to see them revert back to that. We got a question here from Index Man. In your opinion, do you think there is much, if any, communication between Football Index and Opta in regards to positional changes? Now, this is the hot topic, right? I think the dividend deadline, the kind of adjusting to scores, I think people can look past that. But one thing that FI have been pretty poor with in general over the past, I say, 12 to 18 months is positional changes. Can you shed a bit of light on this? Can you give us a bit more background on how they judge where a player is positioned kind of under their database and thus how that affects FI? Yeah, I can't really speak too much to it. It wasn't something I was involved in. All I can say was that it was sort of periodic squad updates, new transfers, kit numbers changing, however. So positions would also be looked at. It is really based off feedback from the analysts themselves who are doing the teams saying, oh, look, this guy's down as X 
but he's been playing more wide recently. And it's also based off historical positions like the Optolad who was on the official podcast a few months ago. They work with the clubs very closely to determine where the player should be playing based off how they've historically played. I mean, in terms of a solution, I don't think there's a solution to this in which everyone is happy. You could, for example, lock the positions at the start of the season, but then people would be miffed if someone changed early on and was then not being adequately rewarded for that. You could have the positions on a game-by-game basis, but that would be a massive source of controversy. Disagreements on tactics, you know, where is this player playing? Also reliant on the lads at Opta getting the formation spot on, which is difficult with the fluidity of tactics that sort of defines the modern game. I mean, for example, you look at Man City, what positions are the attacking players playing? They don't really have positions. They just, they contribute in all areas to the pitch. So you're asking for consistency in a world that isn't consistent. So it's very difficult for Opta to be able to have a sort of conclusive system in place for positioning. It's so fascinating to hear. I think that quote, like people are asking for certainty in an uncertain world, which is the area or the world of football analytics. I mean, do you think there is any communication between Opta and Football Index regarding positional changes? Well, no. We saw, didn't we, in the announcement that they said, or was it someone had complained to customer support or whatever, and they said Opta don't change positions during the season, which was blatantly wrong. (laughs) So clearly there's a lack of understanding between the two parties there but again it's difficult to offer a concrete solution to how positions are set it really is it really really is difficult to do so and i think there has to be some level of understanding from the community about like what can't and can be perfect in this world and if the source of the data isn't perfect and the process in which the data is collated and the process in which the data is changed for la liga as a client, for example, they don't give a shit if Messi is down as a right winger or a centre forward. And they don't really care if Sergi Roberto is down as a right back or central midfielder. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, you have a small, measly sized client in up to standing, i.e. football index, where it does matter a lot whether or not Sergi Roberto is down as a defender or a midfielder. It does matter a lot if Hakimi is down as a defender or a midfielder. Kimmich, all these kind of guys that have been negatively or positively affected by these changes. And people don't realise there is a big domino effect, right? Hakimi goes from being the third best defender on the platform to becoming just another midfielder. And then that means that Trent Alexander-Arnold is potentially more valuable or another Dortmund defender is potentially more valuable. So there isn't just a okay, this is a confined and one-layered thing that happens. It's actually got many links and dominoes that knock down after it. So it's not only one problem, it's actually one issue that generates like 17 different ones. Yeah, as I said, we don't know what the communication is like. We don't see every email from FI to Opta. But if FI are a bit more forthcoming, perhaps, about these changes, these positional changes are having financial ramifications for our users, can we reach an agreement on this? Then I'm sure Opta will try and be accommodating of that. They're not just going to say, no deal with it. So it probably can be worked out. But like I said, it's difficult to put a solution in place that everyone will be happy with. Hmm. The issue is it needs some extra work from someone else, right? It does need some 
kind of clarification from either party or maybe coming together to find a solution that, that works. I think hearing you speak about the kind of complexities of everything involved on the opt side, I do think just locking them in every three months or six months should be done by FI's side. There must be a way to stop that positional feed updating every three months or something like that. And then you can trade accordingly on that. You can think, oh, Hakimi's down as a defender for these three months, but let's watch him play into how what role is he fulfilling in that system? Is he more likely to be a midfielder? And you can trade off of that information. Cool, cool. All right, well, let's move on to the next question here from FI Analyst. This is a long one, so bear with me. What are your thoughts on the reliability of Opta Data Collected? We've checked that one off. The operational definitions and the data collection methods, we've checked those off. So secondly, for FI, do you believe alternate providers could enable more reliable data collection, perhaps through machine learning, preventing corrections, other than those required through later changes, awarding, rebuking, assists or goals assigned to individual players, post-awarding, panel decisions. So is there anything out there that does it better than Opta? Well, it goes back to the issue of human input. Currently, it's not often you say this in our times, but the technology doesn't exist to be able to plug every possible scenario into a computer and say, watch this football match and produce an absolutely infallible, objective set of data. It just isn't possible. Football is so nuanced and so subjective that it just can't be done by a computer in our current times. You have to think if there was an alternative provider who developed this kind of method, they would be the ones who are the official data providers to the Premier League, for example, and not Opta. There's a reason Opta are the world leaders and are the official data provider of so many organisations. And Opta isn't just Opta anymore. There's millions upon millions of pounds going into research, into machine learning, AI, data science, applications to to sport and performance analysis. It's got all that backing behind it as well. They're not just plodding along with the current methods. So we'll see it improve over time for sure. But I think I'm loathe to say you just have to put up with it at the minute, but that's kind of on the current technology. Perhaps you could put forward the argument that well, Opta can't meet FI's needs because they're just a small client. Let's go to someone else who can pay us more attention. But these issues face the whole industry, issues of trying to objectively define a highly subjective game. So a current provider probably can't do anything better than what Opta's currently doing. Wow. I mean, fascinating from yourself, mate. And after this next ad break, I'm going to stop hammering you with Opta questions because I think you're (laughs) you're getting tired of them. We'll have some more general FI questions. So today's episode is brought to you by The Athletic. The Athletic are a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage featuring football reporters you know and love like David Orstein, James Pierce, Sam Lee and Rafa Honigstein. They're telling stories you won't find anywhere else. No ads or clickbait, just great sports writing. So for 50% off your annual subscription to the best sports writing round, go to The Athletic it's £2.49 a month for their annual deal. I mean, that's cheap as chips. Have you bought anything for more than £2.49 recently, Spoon FI? Yeah, I'm quite a keen reader. I bought a Kindle fairly recently. So my most recent purchase has been a book called Zonal Marking by Michael Cox, who actually writes a lot for The Athletic. Very interesting book. One for your website, perhaps. Yeah, I think I might have it on there. Maybe not. If not, I've just made a note of it. Put it down for the website making a note of it as we speak. What did I buy recently? I bought like a spinach and mozzarella pastry. 
from a local Italian like little patisserie place that's like right at the bottom of my block of flats. So yeah, it was quite nice. Very, very conflicting choice of purchases there. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, food, one loves reading. Here we are, right? (laughs) (laughs) This episode is also sponsored by Index Track, the ultimate portfolio tracking tool. It automatically extracts the data from your football index account and provides you with detailed analysis of your portfolio shows your performance versus the market, your share in IPD, expiry dates, and importantly, at this time, what your profit would be if you instant sold everyone. Head over to insectstrack.co.uk. That's track with a K. So no CK, just a K. I had a load of DMs asking me. <laughs> I've just put in index track with a CK and it doesn't work. .co.uk. Go to index track. So that's I-N-D-E-X-T-R-A-K.co.uk and use the code FIG2020 for your first month free. That code is becoming synonymous with the FIG brand. When it turns to 2021, I will miss it. Football Index SOTD, clean sheet awarded if a player has played 75 minutes. I think Football Index should change with immediate effect. So that's regarding the actual matrix, the performance buzz matrix here, Spoon. Are there any matrix flaws you feel strongly about? Obviously, you've watched a load of football. You've been deep in the data side of it, the data analysis. Are there any points of the PB matrix that you think should be different? Or when you first joined FI, you looked at that and was like, that's weird? Quite worrying. There's some things in there that I've literally never heard of and never gave <laughs> as an optimal analyst. For example, I looked at the matrix earlier. A keeper will get 20 points for a blocked shot. I have absolutely never, ever given a blocked shot for a keeper. It doesn't exist. So I don't know what it's doing in there. Does that mean like a block shot outside the box? I don't really know. No, because that would be a save. But outside the box, though, if the goalkeeper's come out the box and he blocks a shot with not his hands, that's a blocked shot, right, from the keeper? No, it would go down as a save. And you really? Can Even if he's the, outside the box? You can specify the body type. Wow. But he's outside the box. I don't think I ever actually came across this, but it, surely <laughs> it's a save. If it's a shot on target, it would be a save. Yeah, this is one of the things, right? <laughs> Go on, sorry, I interrupted you. You're in mid-flow. Yeah, no worries. So yeah, block shots are in there. Don't know what they're doing in there. I've also seen second key pass, which is slightly misleading because there isn't such thing as a second key pass. There's a second assist, which is only given for goals. Imagine a defence spitting through ball that sets up a cutback to a goal. That would be a second assist or a cross from a corner headed down to assist a goal. That would be a second assist. But you don't give second key passes if it's just a key pass to a shot, whether on target or off target. So perhaps you need to specify whether that's a second assist or not. And second assists actually are given quite rarely. It needs to be a really sort of notable pass to set up a goal, not simply he's passed it five yards, someone else has got the assist. So perhaps they need to specify that a bit. I recently reread the Matrix Reloaded blog, which I thought was excellent agreed with a lot of the points in there. I don't think they should be awarding points for failed crosses and also failed dribbles. I'm just not sure why they are credit worthy when they could potentially be giving the ball away. Could even result in a goal. Someone tries a dribble, they lose the ball. The other opposition counters and scores. (laughs) They're getting a point for that. Doesn't make sense. I have an idea that fantasy assists could be quite easily incorporated from a tech point of view, whether or not they shake the matrix up too much would require some more in-depth research. So when we talk about fancy assists, we mean winning free kicks or penalties, shots that are saved, rebound, forced to the scorer, shots that are blocked, etc. And fantasy assists can also be a bit more lenient with lost passes. 
that might not go a small touch from the defender, for example, but it still gets to the goal scorer, could go down as a fantasy assist, but might not go down as a regular assist. But again, it might shake the PB winners up too much. But if anyone wants to do that sort of research, then it would be very worthwhile, I think. Yeah, I think there are certain elements that might need tweaking. Obviously, it's going to be saying the same next season, but things like misplaced passes giving you three points. I think the whole point of the Matrix Reloaded blog was kind of volume versus impact, wasn't it? And that impact might not be as fairly or justly reflected in the scoring matrix currently. And maybe that's the kind of way that they should go towards. But the next change obviously has to be very rigid and it has to be in place for the distant future, I guess, until... Maybe football evolves and, you know, Klopp's style of gagan pressing isn't the best in the world anymore. And we have another form of football which is more effective and wins more games. So it is interesting as well that it has to evolve as football evolves, but it needs to be kind of dormant and rigid to some extent for the football index market, doesn't it? Yeah, I think in the recent survey, I think I voted to keep it the same, just purely out of interest of stability. I can't remember when that survey was but whether the sort of issue of liquidity had hit at that time, but we don't need more changes at this stage. So I think for the time being, it's probably going to do the job. Anything else that you might want to think about changing? There's nothing that really sticks out. What I did like about the Matrix Reloaded was sort of the addition of touches in the box and that kind of emphasis on attacking output. Whether or not it's successful, it rewards players who are attacking and making those sort of attacking plays. But yeah, I think that would need a lot of fine-tuning about what specific metrics you're looking at there. But yeah, definitely worth consideration. We've got a question here from Daily. Can traditional stock market techniques such as the dividend discount model be used for valuing players on Football Index? So for those of you who don't know what the dividend discount model is, it's basically where you buy a stock on the premise that it will return the dividends of its current price, if that makes sense. If you buy, let's put it into football in the context, you buy a player for a pound, you are hoping that that player wins enough its price and dividends over its career, presumably before they retire and hit zero. So what are your thoughts on techniques such as this, Spoon? Are you a keen kind of market enthusiast? I can see the value in them, certainly. I think I'm more of a casual trader, but there's definitely a lot of value in them. Of course, the difficulty lies in predicting dividends and predicting whether the dividends are going to grow or not. I think FI's recent announcement has really thrown a spanner in the works and that we can't predict what is going to happen with dividends. If you can get it right, though, there's certainly a lot of value. I think it was, was it Panda referred to the shit in, shit out way of thinking is that if you get your predictions wrong and if you get your numbers wrong, you're going to get it wrong, the value. There's definitely, if you can get the numbers right, 100%. I've had some ideas myself about whether I can sort of apply what I've learned, the finance side of my degree. Are you familiar with a beta fig? No, please explain. So a beta of a stock is essentially like a measure of its sensitivity, its volatility in comparison to the market. So if a stock had a beta of one, its sensitivity of returns would be equivalent to the market's sensitivity. So if some big external event happens that causes the market to crash, that stock with a beta of one will probably likely go the same way as the market. So less than one, it's perhaps less sensitive, less volatile, greater than one, perhaps more volatile. So I'm wondering if I can apply that to FI and look at player prices and how volatile they are. 
the creation of a beta would allow you to use CAPM analysis, which is capital asset pricing model, where you can kind of, it will spit out an expected return based on its beta and the return of the market. But yeah, it's difficult, of course, the whole dividend thing is just such an unpredictable element of it. Yeah, I think it's one of those things, isn't it? Predicting future dividend returns is obviously really tough. There are no accurate models that really do accurately depict a player's career. And I think the older a player is, the easier it is to predict their future dividend returns. But I do think, to go back to Daly's question quickly, the dividend discount model is something that I use based on current FI prices. And I believe, that's my personal opinion, that the intrinsic value of a player is based on their future dividend returns. And so that's how I value players. And I think that it's, for me, the most useful valuation technique for valuing players. I haven't seen anything else that is more logical or robust. That is what the underlying value of these bets are. Like they are going to finish at zero at one point. If you were buying them in a market that goes sideways, you would be hoping that they return their dividends and a bit more across their career and hopefully sell them for a decent price that is above zero. And then you'd be making profit. So I do think that that is, for me, the be all and end all when it comes to actually valuing the base anchor of someone's intrinsic price. Obviously, you reduce the amount that you base that on depending on a player's age. If someone's 16, it's very hard to value them using a dividend discount model. But if there's someone's like 30, 31, it's very easy, actually. Well, not very easy. I think I said on a podcast with Panda a couple of weeks ago, we could sit here and accurately 45 minutes discuss Lionel Messi and probably accurately depict a decent range as to what his future dividend returns would be. Yeah, I would just add to that. Index Machine, who was on the last pod and was excellent, was talking about how his models you wouldn't necessarily use it as the deciding factor. It adds to your valuation, adds to your opinions of a player, but might not necessarily be the be-all and end-all. So as long as you're sort of using it in context, there's definitely value in it. We've got one more question here from FI Panther. With the market spreads the way they are, is this the hardest time for short-term trading? I've been on eight months or so and so far rarely ever sell off players completely, mainly look to top up and buy new players. What are your thoughts? It's definitely difficult, isn't it? Just a pure lack of liquidity. You can't buy a player in the knowledge that you're going to be able to sell them for what you want, which is just completely holding it back. And we're not even seeing player prices rise massively off unless you're Antonio you're not seeing prices rise massively in respect of the poor performances which is difficult and obviously not a good look for new users I sort of gather that people are trading the spreads a bit not something I'm familiar with myself but if you're able to buy on the matching engine and sort of predict the spreads tightening then you can make money in that way but spreads are obviously very volatile and, and unpredictable yeah, I think it is definitely the hardest time in this kind of growing paid period for Football Index with a lopsided order book. It is going to be hard to short-term trade, but it's not impossible. There are definitely going to be opportunities. I, I saw people trading in and out of Nathan Ake on his move to Man City. So there are opportunities. They are just rarer to come by at this moment in time. They will become less rarer to come by between now and September, but there are a few obviously steps that need to take place between now and then. When football restarts in the next season for short-term trading to become a bit more viable than it currently is. I just want to pick your brains a little bit, Spoon, before you go. Your trading technique, has it been more the longer-term patient approach with younger players considering your kind of background and great understanding of football? No, I don't think I've got a massive focus on youth necessarily. I'm set up for quite long-term Euros World Cup beyond 
not a massive short-term trader, but a lot of it is based off PB scores. There's accounts on Twitter putting out very valuable PB analysis. So it's really designed to just buy into those players who are going to pull in the dividends for me. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not really fiddling with it too much, not really buying anyone new, just kind of topping up with dividends. I mean, it's not an unheard of strategy. It's not necessarily complex or groundbreaking, but if you enjoy it, that's kind of my strategy as well. I'm kind of more mid to long-term focused on buying players that I believe in the, as Panda would say, career arc, and that they're going to be heavily more valued than they currently are. They're heavily currently undervalued. And I think a lot of people do overcomplicate football index a lot of the time, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. There's no need to make it so complex. You can jump on at the start, start putting some serious money in and think, oh, I'm going to do all this fantastic research and cover the next Sancho, Mbappe, whatever. But for me, it's just been about buying players that I enjoy watching and know will put in good performances based off the current matrix. And that's just the enjoyment factor for me is sitting down to watch a game. And, you know, you've got someone involved and it's adds that element to the game of wanting them to succeed, essentially. Moving on for the trading side of things, as a product for Bill Index, like, where do you see it going and kind of what have you enjoyed most about it in your last few months trading since April or so? And what have you disliked the most? What do you want to see added and what do you want to see changed? I think in its current state, it's obviously not good. It's too complex as well. The matching engine, I think, is too complex for a new user. I've had several mates join recently and trying to get their head around what am I buying for? What does this sell price mean? It's not doing itself any favours to try and attract the new users. And I think really that's what we talk a lot about high net worth individuals, but I think really the core consumer base is going to be probably the casual trader who chucks maybe a hundred or so in and wants to pull some dividends in, but it's too complex in its current state. So I think order books will solve that to some extent when it becomes more of an intuitive trading platform. But yeah, I think perhaps adding to the matrix stuff like fantasy assists, it becomes more understandable for perhaps an FPL player who's looking at dabbling in FI to the average guy having a pint in the pub wants to stick a few quid on some players, you know? I mean, in terms of the recent announcement, I was listening to you saying that you were baffled by the timing of it. But I think it was good in a way. I wasn't massively disappointed by the announcement. I think the additions of the goalkeeper category and team of the month at the time of such stagnation were necessary evils to get the product closer to a finished product so that when NASDAQ is integrated, when they have this massive marketing drive that they're talking about, they can present a finished product. So it had to come at the detriment of current traders, short term, I think. But once it's closer to a finished product, they can really market it well and really say, we're finished with this, almost finished with it. Please come and put your money in. It's not a good look now, seeing stagnation, but it would be an even worse look if they pulled a load of new users in and then went, oh, we're going to change it now. You know, let's add goalkeepers now. It's going to do nothing for retaining customers. I would argue that the goalkeeper category did nothing for retaining the current customers. <laughs> I think yes, it felt yeah, like perhaps, a yeah. massive curveball to people that have been on for even six months to four years, whatever it may be. But 
when you don't increase dividends significantly and then you throw a curveball in, I think it's a big problem. If dividends were increased relatively generously, as they kind of alluded that they would be, when they weren't in actual fact, in reality, and goalkeepers were in shoes, I think people would have a better time of understanding that because even if your players that you bought for the big dividend increase weren't rising, you would probably have more time to accumulate them, which is sometimes a good thing. But now, in terms of the kind of comparative value that we saw, we're now seeing money kind of come out of goalkeepers, the spreads widen there as many anticipated. But I just do think that the timing was so, so off. Like I think when you're talking about a dividend increase with no indication that it won't be the core dividends increasing a relatively substantial amount. I think it does rub people the wrong way, and I think understandably so. Yeah, definitely. Just one more point, sorry. I think you made a decent point about the marketing side of things and how it's more ideal to attract a lot of more users when it's a finished product. I do agree with that, but that doesn't mean the tap has to be turned off. And Football Index have as you mentioned, through their aggressive marketing campaigns in previous seasons and previous months, they attract people like you through aggressive marketing to an unfinished product. And I think they can attract a lot of users to the current state of what it is now. Maybe you chuck in sell orders there and then do that. But I don't think that there's necessarily a need to completely stop, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. In terms of sort of retention, I knew that when I was joining, that, well, there was no news of changes, I think. You know, order books were but a rumour. They'd been probably mentioned in plans, but there was probably no date on them coming in. So I was joining on the premise of what was in front of me, which was pre-matching engine. I'm sort of speculating on the disappointing div increase that it's probably uh, COVID fallout, and they will have to be financially sensible about it. But I think it definitely opens the door for more generous increases in the future. Perhaps is mid-season unfeasible or at the very least it opens the door for promotions, double divs, whatever you like. So I can't be too mad because we want Football Index to survive, of course. So they do have to be sort of fiscally responsible about it. But yeah, it was a sort of perfect storm, if you like, of changes that haven't helped current traders. Yeah, there's a few issues in there and we could probably ramble all day long about this, but it just felt like there was a general disconnect between kind of company strategy, direction and trader understanding of that, but also company understanding of trader, if that made sense. As a community as a whole, I think I feel like we were misjudged and we were misunderstood about what was actually needed for this product to go from strength to strength. And I think there's definitely been a divot in the road that's been created by this announcement. And I'm sure it'll be rectified in the next few weeks and so on and so forth. But I guess we'll have to see what happens. That's all we've got time for, mate. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Football Next podcast. Where can people find out more about you? I think my Twitter is at spoon underscore fi with the Ben Arthur profile picture. <laughs> Uh, well if you guys are commuting right now please enjoy your commute stay safe out there wear a mask if you're not commuting doing whatever you're doing then have a great day sorry if we didn't get to answer all your questions there's as always quite a few to get through just remember Football Index is a gambling platform only bet what you can afford to lose and stop when the fun stops thank you very much everyone for listening